Hey there, I'm Julie, and this is the Married to Addiction podcast. If you're here, then you're probably what I call my secret sister. We're in a situation we never asked to be in and fighting a battle we never wanted to fight. We're faith-filled women who are married to an alcoholic, and it affects every inch of our lives. If that sounds like you, then this is a safe place for you to land. Married to Addiction is a faith-based podcast where I help you find the tools and strength you need to navigate your husband's addiction without losing yourself in the process. So please subscribe and tune in as often as you can, because your husband's recovery is important, but so is yours. Hey, before we get started today, I wanted to make sure that you know about my Boundaries workshop that's coming up soon. This is a 100% free workshop, and if you, like I used to be, are completely confused about boundaries or you have tried to put boundaries into place before and they were completely ineffective, then you need this workshop. I remember when my husband was deep in addiction, I heard that I should set boundaries, but I really didn't understand it completely. Or, you know, like I said, I would try and they wouldn't work and I would just feel resentful and confused. But once I finally learned what healthy boundaries were and what they weren't, and how to actually create them and use them in a healthy way, it was really a game changer. So I want you to join me for this free workshop. In the workshop, you're going to learn how to create healthy boundaries based on the right foundation and also why they're so important in the first place. You're going to learn why you may not have had success with creating or adhering to boundaries before. We'll talk about the number one misconception around boundaries for the wife of an alcoholic. And you're going to learn how to successfully put healthy boundaries into place in your own life, which will enable you to feel so much more empowered and peaceful. Like I said, it really is a game changer. So please make sure that you plan on joining me for that. All you have to do to be a part of it is just go to my website, marriedtoaddiction.com. Look for the tab that says Boundaries Workshop, and you can sign up right there. I hope to see you there. Hello, and welcome to the Married to Addiction podcast. Today, I am very excited. I haven't had a guest on in a while, and so I'm super excited to talk to my guest today. She has a wealth of knowledge to share with us and a lot of experience that she's bringing to the table as well. So please welcome my guest, Amy LaRue. Amy, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Amy is the coordinator for Finding Hope, and Finding Hope is an organization for families of addicted loved ones, so obviously we can all relate to that. And we're going to be talking today about uh, basically the three parts of their motto. So their motto is, you are not alone, it's not your fault, and there's hope. And I feel like all three of those things are just really important, um, like standalone statements, really, because I know that... I, those were three things that I really felt um, deeply when I was going through this. And I'm sure, Amy, same thing for you. And I know that pretty much everybody who's listening can relate to a lot of that as well. So I want to just kind of start out with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your story and how you kind of came to doing what you're doing now. Absolutely. So uh, just like you, Julie, um, my husband, I learned that he is an alcoholic and we actually were high school sweethearts and got married in 2015. And honestly, we, you know, never did any of that crazy party scenes, never did, you know, any of that really in college or, you know, we were always involved in church and church activities and we got married and things were going well. Um, we had two beautiful girls. And then all of a sudden there's a shift 
and I noticed the shift and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that this was not the husband I had married. And, you know, my crazy brain and went to trying to figure out what's going on with him. And at first, you know, I thought it was just anxiety and depression from his work. And, you know, but things just weren't getting better. And I started Googling, like, what could be going on with my husband? And to the point where, honestly, Julie, I thought my husband had a brain tumor. And I just, you know, all this, you know, slurring words, you know, just being so off, you know, not his normal character. I had no clue what was going on with my husband. And I just felt like it was my job to figure it out and to fix it so we could have our beautiful family back together. And, you know, things, you know, just kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, I would just took it all on. I became um, his secretary for work. I became his counselor. I became his doctor, his nurse, all these things I took on. Um, and just walking on eggshells every time I would come home. At that time, I was a kindergarten teacher and I had a very difficult class that year. But I would stay at school as late as I could so I wouldn't have to go home because I didn't know what I would be going home to. And things just continued to spiral out of control and just didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I asked, I begged, I pleaded, I screamed, I yelled, I Googled, I did it all. Um, And nothing, none of those things were working. He wasn't, you know, telling me what was going on, obviously. And then it was our daughter's third birthday. And we had a princess birthday party, and that's who she was. And five minutes before the party, I knew he couldn't stay. He had, he was just not there mentally. He was, you know, sluggish in his chair. And at this point, I still had no clue what was going on. And so, you know, when we love someone in this disease, you know, they do miss events. They miss important milestones and all of that. And that was the biggest, the first thing that he really missed in our kids' lives was our daughter's third birthday. And so, you know, he, I kicked him out. He couldn't be there for the party. And the next thing that night, um, you know, I just felt like something was off. And, you know, he had, it was like 11 o'clock at night and he's like, well, I need to go get a drink of water. And, you know, I tell people like, I knew at that moment I need to get up and I ran across our house. And that's when I finally discovered what had been going on for so long under our roof that he had been hiding vodka and pouring vodka. And he was trying to take a drink of vodka that night. And, I stood there in disbelief and didn't know what to do. You know, like, what am I supposed to do with this now? You don't have a brain tumor. You have been drunk this whole time. Um, Nobody I knew had gone through this or was going through this. You know, I felt so isolated and alone in that moment, not knowing, you know, what's going on. Was he an alcoholic? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so, you know, 
it was spring break and I just kind of escaped. I escaped up to visit my parents that weekend, still not knowing what to do with that. And he had reached out for some help at that point. And I say he got sober maybe for about a month. And then those behaviors, those addictive behaviors just started again and started to spiral out of control. And, you know, again, I started trying to do everything now on Google. Okay, Google, how do I fix my alcoholic husband? What do I do? You know, how do I fix him? You know, focusing all on him and all of that in losing who I was in all of this. Um, And fast forward, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse. And we were, you know, walking into church to a church meeting because we were leaders of our church Sunday school class and he couldn't even walk in. And, you know, he was still denying, you know, drinking and all of this again. And I knew like I couldn't live like this forever, but I felt like I was stuck that I had to, um, you know, and I remember calling my mom, um, later that night and it's like, mom, I, I can't do this anymore. What am I supposed to do? I'm reaching out to my mom now for the help and looking to her to fix my problem. And I would say, you know, we talk about our husbands having like a rock bottom. And I would say, actually, that was probably where I had my rock bottom moment as a loved one of an alcoholic is I realized what all these things I had been doing wasn't working that some I needed to change and I was trying to get my husband to change and do all this but I needed to focus on myself. And so I started to seek counseling for myself and you know I honestly went to counseling there for a little bit for her to help me fix it but then I realized how important the counseling was for myself and for my own mental health and everything. And continuing down that journey, my husband ended up at the ER one night and his um, blood alcohol level was over three times the legal limit. And, you know, that's the night I know you talk about boundaries a lot where I really feel like I started to put in some boundaries um, as well. And, you know, I it wasn't safe for him to be at our house that night. It wasn't safe um, for me or for our daughters. And, that was when I finally said, you know, you can't be home if you're drinking. And he, the next day, realized that he really did have a problem and that he needed to seek help. And um, so, you know, I'm like, what does that mean? What does rehab? Like, how is our family going to rehab? People who know my husband, you know, would be like, he he's an alcoholic. He needs rehab, you know, but this disease does not discriminate is what I have learned. And I called, I had a contact, um, with someone who had been at our church to speak. His name's Lance Lang. And he had reached out. I had reached out to him, um, to figure out what, you know, the next steps for my husband. And he had given me some information about some rehabs, but then he flipped it on me and he's like, Amy, I want you to get plugged into a support group as well. And at first I was taken back thinking, why do I need a support group 
Or why do I need to sacrifice my evenings, find babysitters for our kids when I'm not the one, um, you know, tearing our family apart is what I felt like. You know, I was, I didn't think I needed it. And I ultimately, I was like, well, I'm a rule follower. And so I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And that he introduced me to a support group called Finding Hope. And I walked into that room scared, nervous, full of shame and guilt. And I tell people I wore, I made sure I was dressed nice. My hair was clean. My makeup was precise. Um, because I was walking into a room that I didn't want people to know we had a problem. But what I found was when I walked into the room, just like the motto says that I was not alone anymore. I didn't have to go through this, um, this secret, this disease alone anymore, because through all of this and through my husband's addiction, I was alone. No one knew what was going on. My coworkers didn't know what was going on. My family didn't know what was going on. Our closest friends didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. You know, social media thought looked like we were a perfect family out there when really inside our house we weren't. And so when I walked into those rooms, I realized um, I was not alone in this anymore. And I didn't have to do this alone. You know, these rooms were full of moms and dads other spouses and grandparents and sisters and siblings. And they, they were normal, you know, like they understood what I was going through. And, you know, so many times we think we have to go through these storms alone and, you know, we don't need to, we need this community. I love what you're doing, Julie, because it's so important that we come together with these communities with others who understand it. I say it all the time. You don't get it unless you live it. My best friend doesn't get it because she hasn't personally lived it like I have. And that's where this community was so important to learn that I was not alone, that I could go through this storm with a group of people who understood that they could encourage me, they could be a shoulder for me to cry on, and they could pray with me. Um, And I learned in that room that addiction does not discriminate. You know, I had this perception of what addiction looked like. And when I walked in, I realized, no, this addiction can take down anyone, you know, Um, it's a disease. And so, you know, I learned I wasn't alone. And um, the next part was like, it wasn't my fault. And I don't know about you, Julie, but through my husband's addiction, I thought it was something I did as a as a wife, or I maybe didn't do to make him this way. And um, you know, addiction doesn't care about anyone's family history or their upbringing, their um, you know economic status. You know, this disease will go after anyone and everyone, and. I blamed myself and did all the what ifs. We all play those games of what if I did this? What if I did that? What if, what if, what if? Um, You know, and I feel like when we do that, that's the enemy. He's trying to attack us because he wants to win this battle, right? We're in a battle with him. And, you know, it's not my fault. And one realization I had after attending several meetings 
for probably a few years, honestly, was, you know, if my husband would have married somebody else, he would still have this disease. And that was just a big light bulb moment for me. It's like, okay, so it's not anything I did as a wife. Did I contribute to it by enabling? Absolutely. But I didn't make my husband an alcoholic like I had thought for so long. Um, And, you know, if someone's out there listening, and this is something sometimes people just need to know, it's not your fault. You know, we blame ourselves. Others blame us. I've heard in some of the rooms of Finding Hope, well, my sister said, you know, blah, 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 blah is the reason why my son is addicted to drugs. And, you know, people, when you don't understand, and I'm glad you've talked about how addiction is a disease because it is a disease and it will go after anyone, you know, um, I know that all th- any one, uh, we now have three kids and that could attack all, all three of my kids or not. And knowing that it's not my fault was just huge because the enemy, you know, like the Bible says, wants to come still and destroy. And that's what he was doing. That's what he does with this disease. He comes in and tells us lies and attacks our families. And, you know, the next part of our motto is there is hope. And I don't know about you or the listeners, but going through this, I had no hope. I lost everything. I was full of anger and bitterness, fear, anxious, and I was completely hopeless. I thought like this was what the rest of our lives are going to be like for the rest of our lives. Like, is this what it's going to always be like? Is there going to ever be a light at the end of this tunnel? And you know, I was like, am I going to always be on survival mode, walking on eggshells? But what I have to remember is we have to place ultimately our hope in Jesus and that he is our ultimate comforter and healer. He is the healer and he can give us the strength when we feel like we have nothing left to give. And with his hope, we it can bring us to a place of joy and to peace. No matter what's going on, we've got to anchor into the hope of Jesus. And, you know, because he can give us the confidence in the face of any doubts that we might be feeling. And, you know, you know, we cling to that hope. And what I've told people sometimes at these meetings are, just cling to that one little string. It might just start with one string of hope, you know, cling to that hope of Jesus, what he's done for us. And then just keep grabbing hope from others. You know, I walked into those rooms and I saw people smiling. And to be honest, I was really angry to see those smiles because I was not smiling inside. I was so angry, but I knew I wanted what they had. I knew I wanted to be able to smile again. I knew I wanted to be able to laugh again. I knew I wanted to be able to, you know, live my day and enjoy my kids and, and love my husband and all of that. And so, you know, through these support groups and through Finding Hope, and I've witnessed so much hope, not just through, you know, I've witnessed hope return, let me say that, return to moms and dads and grandmothers and husbands and wives and sisters, you know, and 
you know, there's hope for us. There's hope. I wouldn't be on here if it wasn't. Through my journey, um, right before my husband ended up in the ER, I was taking my kids to a friend's house and I stood in her kitchen with tears rolling down my, uh, my cheeks. And I said, told her like, God is going to use this. He doesn't put us through these storms without a purpose. Even at that moment, I didn't know if my husband was ever going to get sober and clean. But my prayer was that I would be able to give hope to somebody else um, someday, whether it's just one person, two people, a hundred or 500. I just wanted to get, no, I knew God would put us through this storm for his purpose and glory so that I could give hope. And, you know, I just kept praying that prayer, praying for God to use this and for God to, you know, bring my husband to a place of surrender. Um, and I just kept going and being with this community. And like I said, it's so important to be in that community. I couldn't tell you very much of what happened at those meetings the first six months probably I was there. But I knew I was with a community of people who got it. I wasn't alone anymore. I was continuing to learn that it wasn't my fault and there was hope. And I just continued down this road and just continued to um, have a new family. You know, like these were my, this was my new family. And I just continued to pray for the Lord to use this storm. And then in 2019, um, God, you know, op- had the opportunity for me to come on staff um, with a ministry called Hope is Alive. And this ministry um, started out with just sober living homes, faith-based sober living homes that also transitioned into these support groups. And our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. Because this is a family disease, the whole family is impacted, and the whole family needs recovery. And I came on staff and I couldn't believe it. And overseeing these support groups and just continuing, and I get the opportunity now to talk to moms, to talk to other spouses, to um, talk to you know siblings, and daughters and sons and just sometimes just be that ear to be that support and to give them the hope that I had and that God has used his storm and now has called me into full-time ministry overseeing these support groups. And I would have never, you know, in a million years thought I would be here doing this, you know, as young as I was at five years old, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And I took that leap of faith because God calls us when he calls us, you know, we have to listen. And he called me out of the classroom and into full-time ministry to be able to use my story, to use this journey and to let others know that they're not alone and it's not their fault and there is hope. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity and um, to, you know, give that to somebody else who is on this path in this journey. You have such an amazing story. And I love, I love being able to bring stories like this to people because, you know, I would have never thought either. And I've talked about this too before, like all those nights when I was sitting in the, on the floor of my closet, like just crying my eyes out, just trying to figure out how I was going to have enough courage to even just walk downstairs and try to be the normal mom that night. 
if you had told me right then that I was going to be sitting here on a podcast talking about how everything I've gone through and, you know, how my husband came through to sobriety and just all of those things, I would have told you there was absolutely no way. So I, that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on is because I know that there's so many people who are listening who are right now who we were. They're in that same exact spot that we were in however long ago. And they need to hear that this isn't where you're staying. And I always say, I don't know how anyone else's story is going to end. You know, I don't know if their husband's going to get sober. I don't know for sure that my husband's going to stay sober. You know, um, that's just the way that, that things work. But I do know that there's been so much good that's come out of both of our journeys through this, even though they were very, very difficult to walk through. There was a few things that you said that I wanted to revisit because I know that everybody who's listening just can a thousand percent relate because these are the things that I feel like are uh, the common threads for wives of alcoholics. And you feel like you're the only one who's going through this. And the fact of the matter is, is that pretty much every single wife who goes through this feels the same exact way. So talking about how you felt like an island, basically, that you were alone, that there was, you know, no one else that you could talk to about it and that, you know, there there wasn't anybody that you knew that was going through it. And I think that was one of the, the hardest things for me is just feeling like at the time in my life where I felt like I needed the most help, I had the least help. Is that kind of how it felt like for you when you were in that spot? Absolutely. It's, you know, as a teacher and as a mom, you know, I'm always, you're always giving, giving, giving and look, you know, trying to be a fixer, right? And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, what am I doing? I don't know anyone that's going through this. I know, you know, and it's, you do, you are, and like you're saying, an island by yourself. You feel like that. And I didn't share this, um, Julie, but there's, you know, actually I, I found out there's another couple in our Sunday school class going through it. But that shame and guilt kept us both silent. Hmm. And she finally spoke up to me and I still kept silent. And And that's a great point because I I guarantee that somebody, when anybody who's going through this, you either know someone right now who's walking that same path right now, like you just mentioned, or you know somebody who has, or you know somebody who will, because people don't talk about it. They just don't. And that's why we do what we do, right? Because I don't want people to be feeling like there's no one to talk to or there's nowhere to go to get support or hope or any of those things. And another thing um, that I wanted to mention too was feeling like, you know, when you went to a meeting for the first time that you didn't have anything in common with anyone there or that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anybody who was like you type of feeling. Like I kind, that's kind of how I felt too, you know, like, well, these people aren't like me. These aren't like quote unquote normal people. You know, I have a normal family. I don't know what their family looks like, you know? And the fact of the matter is, is that is absolutely not true. Like you said, it doesn't discriminate. It's through all classes, through all walks of life, through all professions, through all religions, through all of humanity in every country in the world. I mean, it just, it doesn't discriminate. It it finds people anywhere and everywhere. So I think it's really important to know that, you know, I felt like 
once I started going through it and started confiding in a couple of people, I think that the shame and the guilt comes starts coming in when you start feeling like now you're less than because now your family, you know, has this mark on it, you know, has this shame on it, has this this bad thing that's happening. And now you, you or I started feeling like, okay, now people are looking at me and thinking, well, they're not like me anymore because he's an alcoholic or, you know, their family is being touched by addiction. And so there's just so much of that that happens and it just makes you feel even more alone. Absolutely. Especially when, you know, no one's there to say me too, you know, or grab that hand and, right. you know, I said, like I said earlier, you don't get it unless you live it. And that's why it's so important to what you're doing and getting, trying to get others plugged in and get in these communities. Yeah, it really makes all the difference. And not only do you not feel like you're alone anymore, but it lifts that confusion. Like I remember, and you know, it's also so common for anybody who's in this position, especially if you're the wife in this relationship, you jump into that fix it mode, you know, well, what can I do? How can I fix it? And I remember just feeling like, well, I'm just going to keep trying to figure it out until it works. You know, I'm just going to try everything and eventually something will work. And just feeling like I didn't really know what to do, but throwing all the spaghetti at the wall, I say, you know, just trying to figure out something. And so that's another thing that's so important about getting involved with some other organization or entity that's there that has people that are going through it. Not only does it keep you from feeling alone, but you get some direction. Like I felt like I was just kind of wandering around, just confused. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do, but time is of the essence. Like I need to fix it yesterday, but I have no idea where to start or what will work or what will help. And it just, it's just such a confusing and isolating time. Absolutely. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Trying every means, we're going to do everything we can to get this fixed. And, right. and it's, it's like, and it doesn't make sense when you first start hearing people say, you know, that you didn't cause it and you can't control it. Because I'm a control freak by nature and I'm thinking, yes, I can. <laughs> I'll just I'll just do A, B, or C and then we'll see whether or not that works, you know. I mean, yes, I am going to fix this. You wait and see. You know, wait, wait till you see what I'm going to do next type of thing. And it's just it, – it's not – it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. And when I very first heard that concept of kind of you have to do less, not more, it was very confusing to me. Because I'm thinking, how is taking my hands off the wheel going to fix anything? This car is already like speeding at 90 miles per hour towards a brick wall. And you're telling me to just leave it alone and that will help? Like it felt so backwards. Did you feel that way at all? Absolutely. I mean, because I'm a fixer too. And it's like, okay, I have to do everything I can. And, um, you know, because I was wondering, like, is this going to lead to a divorce, you know, all these, you know, crazy, you know, these thoughts that were going through my head. It's like, I've got to try everything before, but nothing was working. And so I, you know, a change had to be made. And I love that less, but more, you know, saying, and just this last week at a meeting, I heard someone talking and she would be the first one to say, I'm the biggest, biggest enabler. And until she started learning these tools, different tools that we learn through these groups and support, and she's like, the hardest thing 
was to, you know, we've talked about detaching and I still love the person, but I'm going to detach from this chaos. I'm going right. to get a, you know, I can't be intertwined with this mess anymore. And it's hard to sit back and watch it and not do, try to fix it and get in there. That was mine. It's like, I'm seeing him losing his job. I'm seeing all this destructive stuff, losing his relationship with the kids, all these things. And I just want to get in and fix it. You know, and that's hard mm-hmm. not to try to do that. But that's not my job. You know, when we're in there trying to do it, um, I like the analogy of, you know, we want God to get in there and fix it. So our prayer is that God will shut the right doors and open the right doors, that we're not shutting them for him because he needs to shut them in his time so that the right doors are open in his timing. Exactly. And we might be looking at the door shutting on the job and thinking, no, that's absolutely the wrong thing. Like, why? Why is this happening? This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And God's probably saying, yeah, but that's going to that's gonna make him turn a corner. Absolutely. You know, that's going to open him up. Maybe not immediately, but eventually that's going to be one of the things that opens him up to the fact that he needs recovery. So we feel like things are falling apart when in fact, you know, God's letting some things fall apart so that he can sew it back together the way it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And that's something that's really hard to remember when you're in the moment. But I know story after story after story that that play out just like that. You know, as soon as, as soon as somebody steps out of the way and stops being the loudest voice in that person's ear and lets God be the loudest voice in that person's ear and they stop trying to run interference, you know, in the middle of the things that God's trying to set up, like calling in for the husband who's drunk and saying he has a stomach virus so he doesn't lose his job when God knows he needs to lose his job or he's not going to recover, you know, and, and I hear so many times when that's when things change. And so even though it feels so backwards, I just really try to drive that home to the women I work with and just let them know, you know, you got to get out of the way. You just do. And it feels wrong at the time, but it's the right thing to do. Well, and I say nothing changes if nothing changes. So if it, yeah, I mean, just think about that. Nothing's going to change if you keep doing what you're doing. Something's got to change to have a bigger change. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about what all you have um, going on. I'm super excited about something that's coming up next month. Can you share with everybody listening what that is? Absolutely. So we are going to be having a retreat called Journey to Joy. And this retreat is open to anyone who loves somebody um, addicted to drugs or alcohol, whether that person's in recovery or not. Um this retreat is for them. And I, uh, God laid on my heart like two years ago and, you know, all of a sudden this vision just came, you know, we need, we forget, we neglect ourselves so much through our loved one's addiction. And I just felt like we needed a retreat. We need, you know, my husband went to rehab for 30 days and he got to learn more about himself and who he was and gain tools and learn how to live a sober life, you know, and we need that just as much, if not more, that we need a week, you know, honestly, a weekend's probably not long enough, but this is a great opportunity for people 
you know, in the midst of the storm or on the other side of the storm, you know, just to come together to grow and learn and um, worship. We're going to have some time of worship and to take care of ourselves for a weekend. And I, we had a retreat last year and it was a huge success. And I'm so excited about this year's um, retreat. And, you know, it's coming up, like you said, March 25th through the 27th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we have people from all over. Um, I just had someone sign up from uh, another spouse from Florida signed up to attend a lady um, from Massachusetts, Minnesota, Kansas, all over coming um, together just to take care of themselves for a weekend. But I'm even more excited. Can I say it on here? (laughs) Yes, you will be getting to come as one of our keynote speakers. And, you know, I just think it's so important. Um, I love what you're doing and with this community and, you know, your beliefs and everything that we get to have you come and speak on joy as well and um, to be a part of this retreat. Yes. And I'm so grateful that you've included me in that because that's something, honestly, the retreat thing is something that I have thought about so many times too. And so, you know, when you invited me to to speak and just to come, I was just thrilled. So thank you so much for including me in that. I know it's going to be just a fantastic weekend and it's not only going to be like some time away, but it's also going to be just some time to get really filled up and refreshed. And I think it's just going to be a super powerful few days. So I'm very excited. Yes, I am too. I just get more excited each day as it gets closer. I know, right? It's coming up fast. Well, gosh, if it's like the rest of this year has been so far, it'll feel like a week and it'll be time. <laughs> Don't tell me that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have plenty of time to get everything yes, done. Yes, I do. I do. Yes, it's, it's going to be great. And what I... You know, last year I had a lady sign up. There's an open spot last night because of COVID. Someone came down with COVID, unfortunately. So she couldn't come. And a lady had just reached out. It's like, I want to be there. Is there a spot? And she signed up Thursday, like literally Thursday evening. The retreat started on Friday. And she was my first one to sign up for the retreat this year. Just because she knew how impactful it was for her. And I tell everyone, like, this is a great weekend to unplug. And to focus on you, like we don't do that enough, you know, and yep. so I'm excited to get to meet new friends and um, just be able to build new friendships and connections through this. Yes, it's going to be so awesome. So tell everybody where they can find you, like where can they find just more about your services in general? Where can they go to if they're interested in the retreat to get more information on that? Um, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So you can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today, findinghope.today, and just more information about our ministry and to get plugged into, you know, groups. Um, But there's also a link on there that will take them to more information about the retreat and to get to sign up. Or they can also personally reach out to me, um, email me at amy, A-M-Y, at hope is alive.net. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being here and talking to me today. I just, you have such a great testimony and a great story and it's so relatable too, because like I was saying earlier, every, every one of us who's gone through this or who is going through this currently, we all have some 
some common themes, you know, I mean, it, it, it plays out a little differently for everybody, but in a lot of ways it plays out the same. So I just think it's really important to hear someone else who's gone through exactly the things that other people are feeling right now. So thank you again for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Quick question for you before I let you go today. Have you been to the Married to Addiction website? If you haven't, I would love if you would go pay it a visit. It's just marriedtoaddiction.com. And over there, you can see um, just a lot of different information about my podcast. There is a blog on there. There's some free resources for you. And there's also a few ways that you can actually get some help if you need a little more help and direction and support as you travel this difficult path with your addicted husband. So if you haven't yet, please go visit marriedtoaddiction.com. Thanks so much.